BC's recovery benefit. People will receive a direct deposit within a number of days of their application. How much you get and who really qualifies. A rare look behind the front lines in the COVID crisis. We see how isolating COVID death is. Nursing staff under immense stress at the St. Paul's ICU. And Vancouver officers face charges nearly three years after this jaywalking takedown caught on camera. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Some good news in today's COVID-19 numbers. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, a rare look tonight at the front lines of the pandemic in our province inside the COVID ward at St. Paul's Hospital. The teams at St. Paul's are fighting the second wave of the virus and their stories show it's proving to be an exhausting challenge. Grace Key reports. The moment Julia Pavlova steps into the red zone of the COVID unit at St. Paul's Hospital, she can't leave. I stay on that small closed off area uh, for the whole 12 hour shift or whatever my shift is. This is the front line in the battle against COVID. Protocol is strict. There are self-assessments. Gowns are changed between rooms. Even doctors must at times monitor patients from afar. The red zone is for confirmed COVID cases, yellow for suspected cases. Nurses can't cross the zones. The only time they take off their mask in a 12-hour shift is when they eat. Ideally, there would be one person in the break room uh, at a time. Um, If it's not possible, and we're expecting a surge right now, so there will be more nurses that have to go at the same time, then we have to separate and be on the separate sides of the room. Like many nurses, Julia wears a picture of herself. She says it's isolating for a COVID patient. PPEs and personal. Loved ones can't say goodbye in person to a dying patient. The picture adds some level of humanity. They're saying their final goodbye to their family on the Zoom. And we're there and we do our very best. We work really hard, but I'll never ever be able to substitute a family member. I'll never be able to be their daughter, to be their son or grandchildren. And for those who refuse to wear a mask, her message is simple. Imagine what it's like to have a tube in your throat when you're gasping for air and any amount of oxygen we give you is not enough because your lungs are full of fluid. That's what the reality of COVID is. Grace Key, Global News. Now to that encouraging news, the Premier tweeting today, the first vaccine doses are just days away and about 4,000 high-risk people will be immunized by the end of next week. Here's a look at today's numbers. We have 566 new cases, bringing BC's total to 38,718. Sadly, 16 more people have died, which means we've now lost 543 people to complications from the virus. 352 people are in hospital, 74 of them in the ICU. 27,897 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 9,315 active cases. Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, you have a detailed look at where the new cases are and those encouraging signs we talked about. 
Yeah, slightly encouraging. We break the, down the numbers every night with regularity in terms of geography, and something different is happening out there. For months, Fraser Health would be 60-75% of the cases on a daily basis. Take a look at the numbers today, how they break down geographically. A different tale is being told. For the first time in months, Fraser is down to 53% of the cases. That's a, 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 almost an unheard of low. Vancouver Coastal up a bit at 24%. The other health authorities now are starting to get more in terms of percentages, particularly the interior and the north, not so much Vancouver Island. But that's not the only reason for, for encouragement to see that number in Fraser go down. There are other signs out there as well. First of all, the uh, seven-day uh, rolling case count continues to decline. It's down now more than 100 in two weeks. The positivity rate as of yesterday, 6.2%, the lowest since November 13. And cases are leveling off in Vancouver Coastal and parts of Fraser Health. Not so much eastern Fraser Health, but Fraser North and Fraser South. So that, that's very encouraging that the trend numbers now are starting to point the other way. We were surging through November the wrong way, and now we're going the other way. And if we can keep that trend going, we, the health order that expires on uh, January 8th may not have to be extended. Nice to see we uh, may be making some progress. All right, Public mm -hmm. Safety Minister Mike Farnworth was asked today about fines and repeat offenders. What did he have to say about that? Yeah, I just got the update on the on the fines since this pandemic began. As of December 4th, 36 organizers of events have been fined $2,300 each. 16 restaurants and bars have been fined $2,300 each for breaking the rules. And 142 individuals have been fined $230 each for going to events and parties and such. Mike Farnworth today making it very clear, just because it's Christmas does not mean they're going to take the foot off the pedal here. You're going to be fined over Christmas as well if you break the rules. They like to say, well, we have rights. We do have rights. We also have responsibilities. And we have responsibilities to our loved ones, and we have responsibilities to our community. Just because it's Christmas does not mean that you can't get ticketed uh, if you're not following the orders. Yeah, there will be more tickets issued over the Christmas holidays. You can be sure of that. The police are going to be on alert. Tomorrow's a big day over here. We're going to have a briefing from Dr. Bonnie Henry, Premier John Horgan, Health Minister Adrian Dix, and Dr. Ross Brown, who's heading up Vanc or BC's vaccination response team. They're going to roll out what it's going to look like when the vaccine arrives here shortly in terms of protocols, who goes first and such, how it's going to be distributed. A lot of interest in tomorrow's uh, a briefing sometime tomorrow afternoon. We'll be carrying that live on BC One, of course. All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Keith. Monday's announcement by Dr. Bonnie Henry to extend her restrictions through Christmas and New Year's, with very few exceptions, has some Metro Vancouver traditions scrambling to reopen and others, sadly, just packing up for the season. Nadia Stewart shows us what's open and what's closed and who's being hit hardest by the loss of fundraising. This year has been like no other year. It has been devastating, to put it simply. Over at the Capilano Suspension Bridge Park, they were holding out hope that Christmas could be saved. But Monday's extension of the province-wide gathering restrictions means Canyon Lights won't be the holiday attraction it normally is. We were basing Canyon Lights and really figuring out how it would work with just a local market. And recently, with just a Vancouver coastal health market, really. And um, now, now that we can't do that, that is, that is truly devastating. Refunds are now underway. Chala says for many students, this annual event is also a part-time job and a fundraiser for the BC Professional Firefighters Burn Fund. This year, we had already sold 28,000 tickets and the last two weeks of December was completely sold out. So too is the Vancouver Park Board's Bright Nights train ride. They're also in the process of issuing refunds. Even though this is a ride-through event, it cannot pass for a drive-through event. 
which are still permitted under the current rules. Technically, it is a, a driving event, but not a drive-through event. We still have uh, customers that sit on the trains. Although everybody completely understands why we have to do this, um, there's a lot of people that are really sad. Both events generate nearly half a million dollars per year for the Burn Fund in support of burn survivors. But it is a disappointment, no doubt. It's our biggest fundraiser of the year which allows us to operate year-round in terms of offering programs and support to our burn survivors. It's a big hit to our fundraising. Like so many other charities, they are pivoting, selling tickets online for a 50-50 draw, hoping the usual events that draw people to their organization will be back next year. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Following what became a disturbing call-out involving an elderly woman, a Vancouver police officer has taken to social media to share the message that racist words can have severe and even life-threatening consequences. Catherine Urquhart reports. When the 84-year-old woman arrived at the bank on Monday, employees were alarmed. Her face was bruised and they feared she may have been beaten. They called police. One of our uh, Vancouver Police sergeants attended this uh, elderly woman's um, residence. Um, upon opening the door and seeing her, it was very obvious her face was very badly bruised. And, and when asked what happened, she was very um, shy. She didn't want to speak to police. She could barely even look at the officer. That officer on scene was Sergeant Sandra Glendinning, who tweeted that the elderly woman said it was cancer. She had been diagnosed months ago. It was causing her pain and her teeth and jaw hurt. Then she opened up a bit more, revealing heartbreaking fears to Sergeant Glendinning, saying she hadn't been back to the hospital because she wasn't welcome. Because I am Chinese, people say I bring the virus with me. They say I spread it, so I don't go. It's very sad. And as you know, there's a widespread fallout from the system, uh, systemic uh, blatant and subtle ageism in here, coupled with bigotry. Racism. Her fears undoubtedly stemming from a massive spike in anti-Asian hate crimes. As you heard uh, many, many times, you know, uh, COVID-19 is an Asian disease and Asian people bring it over um, and spread it. So, I mean, this is very much uncalled for uh, in terms of the virus. Fortunately, with some convincing, she overcame her fears about racism and accepted help. The 84-year-old cancer patient was taken to hospital where she was treated for her pain. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The NDP government has introduced legislation that could deliver on that $1,000 campaign promise, but it's not for everyone. Richard Zussman has the details on the pandemic recovery payout some families may get just in time for Christmas. Cash on the way. Want to ensure people can afford necessities, can pay their bills. The BC government laying out legislation on Tuesday around how British Columbians can access the COVID-19 recovery benefit. Starting December 18th, people will be able to apply online for the benefit. Up to 3.7 million British Columbians will be eligible. For 
The first application's online only, with a call center set to open December 21st for those who can't apply online. Here's how the cash will be handed out. A family, either a single parent or two adults, will get the full $1,000 benefit if they make up to $125,000 a year. That slides down. A family making $150,000 receiving $500 for incomes between $174,500 and the top end at $175,000 is just $10. And above $175,000, no need to apply. Concerns already raised about this being based on 2019 incomes and not 2020, when many people lost work. There's going to be people who genuinely need it now, that we want to see them get supports now that are not going to qualify. If we were to wait for the 2020 tax returns, people wouldn't get a benefit until much later. Uh, And people need help now. For singles, it's the full $500 for income up to $62,500, a sliding scale to no benefit for those that make over $87,500. The province still looking to see if more direct relief will be needed on top of this benefit. Conversations about what happens in the new year are ongoing. Um, Looking forward to meeting with a lot more stakeholders about what programs we need in place. The question is, for those that apply online or by phone, when will the money arrive? For those that apply online, direct deposits could start before Christmas. And for the rest, the money will trickle in after the holiday through the end of the month and into January. Richard Zuspin, Global News, Victoria. Two Vancouver police officers are now facing assault charges in connection to the 2018 arrest of a former UBC football player on the Granville Strip. Aaron MacArthur is live with the details on this. Aaron, this started out as an alleged jaywalking violation, and what followed was all caught on camera. Yeah, as they so often are these days, Chris. Uh, two Vancouver police constables. Constable Jared Sadu is facing charges of assault with a weapon. Constable Jag- Jagpreet Guman is facing an assault charge. And as you say, this all stems from a jaywalking arrest caught on tape in February of 2018. Jamil Moore-Williams was on the Granville Strip. He stepped out into traffic and somehow became involved with VPD members. It escalated quickly and in the end more than half a dozen VPD officers were on scene trying to take Moore Williams to the ground. The video appears to show Moore Williams being kneed in the head and tasered at least seven times. He was charged with jaywalking and obstruction at the time. Both of those charges were stayed and then the VPD members' actions were taken a closer look at. Uh, The RCMP investigated, the Office of Police Complaints Commission investigated, and charges almost three years later were finally approved today by the BC Crown Prosecutor Service. Jamil Moore-Williams says this was all race-based, and he is relieved that these two officers will be facing a judge. It's a great feeling. It's a great feeling to see this. I feel good. I'm happy that it's going in the right direction. But as you're saying, February coming would have been um, three years there. You know, so it, it, it stings. But at the same time, I'm happy. I'm very happy. Very happy. Now, the VPD won't comment on this as it is before the court, but VPD does say both of these officers are still on the job. Their first court date scheduled for January 14th. Chris, Sophie. All right. Thank you, Aaron. An ominous prediction about grocery affordability in the new year. Why those who know expect the biggest bump in prices ever, making it harder to put food on the table in 2021. 
That's next on the News Hour. Vaccinations begin in the UK. How the first non-test patient to receive one feels about making history coming up on the news hour. And the mission principal with some advice about how we talk to children about COVID-19 after a powerful lesson from one of his students. That's later. Right now, though, a troubling prediction as we wind down one of the most difficult years in modern history, it is going to get harder even to put food on the table. Experts say 2021 will bring the biggest ever increases in food prices. Ted Trinecki shows us why groceries could get a lot more expensive and the foods you will have to budget for. Once again, food prices in Canada are on the rise. Once again, they're going up faster than inflation. They've been doing that for the last 20 years. It's uh, hard to pinpoint it exactly. There's a lot of factors. Obviously, you know, labor uh, challenges due to COVID is driving part of it. You know, a weaker dollar for imported food is doing part of it. There's a whole variety of factors and just even retailers getting a little bit bigger uh, piece of the profit. In its 11th annual food price report, a consortium of four universities predicts the biggest increases will occur in bakery products, three and a half to five and a half percent. Fruit, two to four percent. Vegetables and meat, both climbing four and a half to six and a half percent. It's costing more to do everything in livestock and in processing. The report notes BC and the Maritimes will have increases higher than the national average. A family of four is expected to pay almost $14,000 a year on food, an increase of $695 or 5%. They are likely to increase at uh, record levels. Uh, for a family of four, we're expecting... Uh, uh, their food bill to increase by almost $700 for the next 12 months, which is pretty significant. COVID means more labor-intensive cleaning. B.C. gets a lot of its fresh produce from wildfire-stricken California. And low oil prices are driving down the Canadian dollar. The one bright spot is B.C.'s food supply chain. We've been doing really well since spring. Look at the shutdown of the meat packing plants for two weeks, but yet, you know, consumers didn't notice that much of a shortage or higher prices. So we've got a very strong food system, fortunately. And in the vein of we're all in this together, farmers' markets in the Lower Mainland are seeing a dramatic increase in business as consumers seem keen to help local producers, even if it might cost a bit more. The report suggests some consumer habits might change permanently, even after the pandemic. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Coming up, a camera spotting bad behavior. We can involve the community safely from their homes. The watchful eye helping catch thieves in the act. And the sunken boat that stopped traffic under the Canby Bridge for a while. After clearing a few earlier problems in Burnaby, eastbound traffic on Highway 1 is eased off with just minor delays at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $22 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. It's a call no business owner wants to receive that they've had a break in, but at least in this case, the thieves were caught on camera. There was two suspects that backed up their white van, um, smashed the door in and hooked up the ATM and kind of drug it right out. The smash and grab of the ATM occurred at Woody's Pub around 4 o'clock this morning. Surveillance video shows a white van backing up to the front door of the pub. One man goes inside and ties straps around the ATM. The first attempt to pull it out was unsuccessful, but on the second try, the ATM breaks free. And all of this was done with the alarms going off, and they were gone in 10 minutes.
It is definitely not a nice feeling. It is a little bit scary that it could happen to absolutely anybody. And I think that everyone probably feels a little bit violated in a sense. Um, you know, Lake Country is a very small community and we're all very family orientated um, in this area. So it's definitely not a good feeling. For it's not known how much money was in the ATM at the time of the theft. Lake Country RCMP are asking for anyone who might have information to give them a call or call Crime Stoppers. A Vancouver Island Legion is using the internet to shame people who are taking advantage of its services. As Kylie Stanton reports, it's streaming live video of people who are stealing from the recycling bins that help it pay the bills. Right now uh, we have uh, a large refrigerator, a stove, uh, barbecues come in often. It's a service being provided here for free solution to a problem that once overwhelmed the area. There was a lot of uh, illegal dumping in the, in, within the community of Shanagan Lake and uh, especially metal. For the past five years, the Malahat Legion has been collecting it in these bins instead, putting up with the odd bag of household garbage and contaminants being dumped along with it. But more recently, theft has become the major issue, and the Legion has taken to the internet in hopes of putting an end to it. We actually battered our camera so we can have clearer pictures. Um, and now with uh, having a live feed, we can involve the community safely from their homes. And they're tuning in, in record numbers, calling in tips, trying to identify the culprits, casting a bit of shame in the process. We just prefer to deter them from coming than actually taking. As word gets out, frustration hits a breaking point. Because we're all donating and we're all trying to make it go to a good cause, right? This legion has had to close its doors off and on throughout the pandemic, but the bills still need to be paid. This recycling program, along with the ongoing bottle drive, are the only things making ends meet. We are relying solely on that as an income to keep our doors open and our lights on. That's the survival. Instead of reaching in and helping themselves, Hammer is hoping the thieves will consider reaching out instead. The Legion is the perfect place to start. If people have fallen on a hard time, send us a letter, reach us by email. We will see where we can help, if we can help. We need our income to be able to provide the service to the community. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Seanigan Lake. Vancouver police are investigating after a boat fire near the Canby Bridge early this morning. Officers received a call just after 4 a.m. of a loud explosion coming from the water just under the bridge. The boat was found in flames with no one on board. The Vancouver Police Marine Unit and Transport Canada are investigating the cause. After a busy afternoon commute south at the Massey Tunnel, traffic is once again eased off in both directions, but do keep in mind, overnight maintenance has traffic down to one lane each way between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $22 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Well, as we wait for vaccines here, the Canadian government says it is not concerned about reports U.S. President Donald Trump will sign an executive order ensuring Americans get priority access to COVID-19 vaccines that are procured by the U.S. government before those supplies go to other nations. Pfizer, which makes the vaccine likely to be first approved by authorities in both the U.S. and Canada, has a manufacturing plant in Michigan, but also makes its COVID-19 vaccine in other countries. We're confident that there won't be any disruption in the effective and timely supply of vaccines to Canadians. We contemplated that in the procurement agreements we've signed. The federal government says it's still on track to receive the first shipments of Pfizer's vaccine pending approval by next week.
The 90-year-old grandmother in the U.K. has become the first person in the world to get the fully tested and approved Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. It is the start of the huge rollout effort of the vaccine in the U.K. Global's Redmond Shannon has more. It is, without doubt, the start of a new chapter in the fight against COVID-19. The first vaccine administered in a Western country outside of a trial to 90-year-old grandmother Margaret Keenan. Hopefully it will help other people come along and uh, do as I did, you know, try and, try and do the best for, to get rid of this terrible thing. Second on the list, a man named William Shakespeare. Could make a difference to our lives from now on, couldn't it? Not poetic words, but enough to move Britain's I mean, health secretary close there, to tears. You're quite emotional about that. Well, it's just, uh, it's been, you know, it's been such a tough year for so many people, and there's William Shakespeare putting it so simply for everybody that, you know, we can get on with our lives. The UK will distribute 800,000 of the two-dose Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in the coming weeks, part of a 20 million dose order. The over 80s and healthcare workers are first in line. We're looking at this as a long haul. If we have phase one, these groups above the age of 50 vaccinated by, say, the late spring, and that's an optimistic timeline, then looking at people below that age, you really are looking at heading towards the summer months to complete that process. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says some Canadians could get the vaccine as early as next week, if approved by Health Canada. One issue with the Pfizer vaccine is that it needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees. That creates logistical headaches for where and when it can be administered. Another candidate vaccine being developed by AstraZeneca and Oxford University can be stored in normal fridges. But new data published Tuesday suggests that it needs more testing before it can be approved. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Chuck Yeager, the first person to break the sound barrier, has died. The Second World War ace became the quintessential test pilot. Yeager made history in 1947 when he piloted an experimental aircraft that reached speeds of more than 11,000 kilometers an hour, breaking the sound barrier. The retired U.S. Air Force pilot passed away peacefully. He was 97. Today marks 40 years since the death of John Lennon. We just sort of say, time to make an album, you know, go in the studio, and we'll, the same four of us will be looking at each other and playing the same licks. 40 years ago today, when the Beatles legend was shot on the steps of his apartment building in New York, Lennon is considered one of the most influential musicians of all time. A distanced memorial is being planned at the apartment. In Health Matters, an elementary school principal in Mission has created a new video to help parents handle one of the most difficult things during the pandemic, explaining COVID-19 to their children. And that person caught it, and their first reaction was shame and fear that they're going to die. With all the restrictions at home and at school, pandemic life is stressful enough for children but if they have contracted the virus, they might feel additional fear and shame. We're very aware of how it affects us, but not always aware of how it affects our, our little ones in our lives. So first is to ask lots of questions and talk to your kids about it. But make sure that you're dispelling any myths that are out there about the virus as well, because sometimes kids will hear information from their friends 
And if that's the only people talking to them about coronavirus, that's going to be a problem. Clark says it's important for parents to know that they can always reach out for help when it comes to tackling difficult topics like death from the pandemic with their children. Help is available. And still ahead, the passing of a legend in legal circles. Were it not for Joe Arbe, marriage equality in this country would not exist. Why a B.C. lawyer, why B.C. lawyer Joe Arbe had a national reputation and few equals. Next. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Vancouver City Council has passed its 2021 COVID-19 response budget. The mayor says despite nearly $139 million in pandemic-related losses, next year's budget will see property taxes held at 5% and the police budget frozen at 2020 levels for $340.6 million. Vancouver police had asked for $6 million more than that and the chief says it means 61 fewer VPD recruits next year. Kennedy Stewart maintains there will be more money for street cleaning, community policing, battling the overdose crisis, and helping small businesses weather the COVID pandemic. Well, he wasn't a household name to all British Columbians, but both the legal and human rights communities are mourning the loss of a legend. High-profile lawyer Joe Arve died over the weekend of a heart attack. As Linda Aylesworth shows us, there's scarcely a groundbreaking human rights battle in which he wasn't front and center. At the B.C. legislature, the morning started off on a somber note. Yesterday, a giant of Canadian law left us, a tireless giant who truly changed the course of history for so many people facing discrimination and injustice. His name was Joseph Arve, Joe to his friends, who describe him as a brilliant and selfless defender of the rights of all Canadians with a particular passion for the underdog. He appeared in the Supreme Court of Canada, Mr. Speaker, over 75 times on some of the defining cases of our generation. He fought the censorship of children's books that promoted tolerance and understanding. He fought for the rights of same-sex spouses. Fought and won. Without him, marriage equality in this country would most likely still not exist. And when insight on the downtown east side was about to be closed... He won the right for a community organization to operate a safe injection site, which saved countless lives. Grace Pastine with the BC Liberties Association worked with Joseph Arve on many a case. He worked harder than anyone else and he was guided by these very principled values of equality and justice uh, for all people. And he won Canadians the right to a physician-assisted death. Joe persuaded a unanimous Supreme Court of Canada to reverse the Susan Rodriguez decision that had been rendered not 20 years earlier. That is the stuff of legal legend. The cases are well known, but what most are not aware of is that much of the time he worked pro bono, free of charge. I think Joe will be remembered as one of uh, the greatest lawyers in Canadian history. He was the bravest person I ever knew, and he made all of us better for having lived in our world. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Emotional and powerful send-off for a great man. Be missed, for sure. All right, Mm -hmm. let's... Check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon. Uh, I don't know if those are your lights or your neighbor's lights behind you. 
congratulations <laughs> to you if they're yours. And, and if not, tell your neighbor they look good. I will. I'll certainly tell Ben. Ben are the ones that are nice and straight. Ours are the ones that are not so nice and straight. That's on a tree just out in the front yard there. I'll let him know, though. Thanks, Soph. Uh, you know, the rain has finally ended here, and officially the rainfall warning has ended as well. For all of Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley, we saw uh, in excess of 80 millimeters of rain in some areas. I want to show you this photo that came to us from uh, the Co Port Coquitlam area. This is from the Golden Years Pump Station project, which is going on. And the the area you can see there is just filled with water. It's like a pool. And in that is a little excavator. You can just see the top end of it. So Kevin sent us that. says, yep. Too much rain today, that's for sure. Now, tomorrow we still do have a chance of showers. It's mainly out through that Tri-Cities, Pitt Meadows, Fraser Valley area. Minimal amounts, uh, but still a chance of showers for you tomorrow. So this is over the next 24 hours. We could see a few passing showers in Metro Vancouver as well. But for Metro Vancouver, western sections especially, it's really only a 20 to 40% chance of showers tomorrow. And it drops off even further on Thursday. Although the Fraser Valley, once again, about a 60% chance of showers for you tomorrow. Very week system moving on to the coast we're still talking about snowfall for the columbia area though as we head into thursday not bad conditions as well so wednesday thursday for our region not bad but then friday back to showers look at rogers pass though still under a snowfall warning with likely another 10 centimeters expected overnight for that region as well as the yoho kootenai park region so there's your forecast for tomorrow everyone not bad some breaks of blue sky through the okanagan valley shower or sorry flurries changing over to showers for the columbia and the kootenai region but golden will see significant snowfall for our region about a 40 percent chance of showers some breaks of blue sky certainly some breaks of blue sky on thursday as well with dry conditions but then that next wave moves in on friday and it looks like it's going to be pretty wet over the weekend at this point but the good news is the freezing levels drop so should be some great skiing on the local mountains and i'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window this is from lindsay and evan moore they were uh went out kayaking all dressed up themselves in costumes uh santa costume as well as one other one and then they decorated their kayaks as well and they said that this is their new family tradition trying to keep social distancing but keep close a little bit so Great west chocolate. coast christmas in a kayak only here very nice thanks yeah. christy <laughs> All right, let's check in with Squire, who joins us now, and a peek ahead of what's coming up in sports. Squire? Well, the NHL um, has a new target date to start next season. I think they might actually reach this one. We'll tell you what it is. Uh, also, the BCHL would like to start in January as well, but there are a couple of issues they have to uh, overcome. We'll tell you what they are. All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up tonight, an artifact from BC's past, hidden for decades and now offered for sale. Yeah, that one. just had to film a little birthday wish there for a woman whose birthday is not for a while. So it will be a surprise to but her. But I kept forgetting it, so we can't say who it is. That's right. It's her sister put me up to it, so. <laughs> There's a hint. <laughs> there might be a surprise. All right. And we managed to do it during the commercial break. Mm -hmm. Squire? It's amazing what we get done during the commercial breaks We're very here. productive. Yeah. We are. We are very productive. Um, well, it sounds like Gary Bettman and union boss Donald Fear 
And their people have a new desired start date for the NHL. The rumor is January 13th. Now, the financial negotiations seem to have ended now, which is probably good. If they kept doing that, we'd never get a season. It's all about the restart, what the schedule will look like, how many games they'll play. It'll be between 50 and 60. Uh, What the divisions will look like. There definitely will be a Canadian division, but what about the other three? How will the playoffs set up? Uh, The other issue is how many players will each team be able to keep around its city? Because some of the Canadian teams, like the Canucks, for example, have their minor league team in Utica, New York. Trying to bring players back and forth with the border restrictions, that's not going to work. So they're going to have to decide that as well. But January 13th is the new target date. And it seems like they are moving rather well towards that. Now, the BCHL would like to play a short season, also starting in January. It'll consist between 20 and 30 games. But right now, that's on hold because the provincial health order prohibits anyone 19 years or older from team sports. The BCHL has players that range in age between 16 and 20. And at least half the players basically on each roster are 19 or 20. So those players are in limbo, and because of that, so is the BCHL. We've been told, you know, our 19 and 20 year olds can't be a part of this, so uh, that limits our team. It cuts it, in, cuts it in half pretty much, and so it's unfortunate what we can have. Uh, we only have half of our team out here, but uh, we're kind of just rolling with it. Rolling with it means adhering to the latest provincial health order, which prohibits 19 and 20 year old junior hockey players from skating, practicing, and playing alongside the same teammates they've been with since September. So instead of being on the ice, they're up in the stands. We're all doing the same thing in that uh, the only reason we're sitting up in the stands is because we were born before 2002. And uh, that's really the only thing that we see is is the reason we're sitting here. It's definitely frustrating. I mean, we're doing every, we can, everything we can to be safe and taking all the necessary precautions. and. You know, when you're training with these guys earlier in the season and, and working towards a goal with them, and then to have to sit out like this is definitely disappointing. Almost half of the players who make up the BC Hockey League aren't allowed on the ice right now. 48% of the league is composed of 19 and 20-year-olds, and even though the leagues maintain constant dialogue with the Office of the Provincial Health Officer, the BCHL remains in the dark why it's now been deemed offside for all of its players to return to stage two on-ice protocols. It really, it is about um, the fact that these leagues travel, um, that we're seeing transmission and we're seeing transmission in, in the U.S. and other sports teams as well. So we have been seeing transmission events happening and right now it's just too risky. Since September until now, the BCHL has seen a total of two COVID cases, one in October and one in November. In both cases, the players were immediately placed into mandatory quarantine. The league's also played 90 exhibition games with zero COVID transmission. So you can understand the confusion and frustration being felt by so many right now. We have contact at the provincial health office, but it just doesn't seem like it gets to the top of the organization. And so that's why we're saying we'd really like to have a conversation at the decision-making level to give us uh, either the answer we don't want to hear, which is fine if they can explain to us why our 19 and 20 year olds are treated like beer leaguers, then we'll have that conversation. But we really think that if they meet with us, they'll understand that we have been the gold standard for COVID-19 protocols 
and been operating completely with the safety of the public in mind, and we will continue to do so. Champions League, Lionel Messi against Cristiano Ronaldo. Barcelona Juventus, both teams have qualified for the knockout stage. But it's always fun to see Ronaldo and Messi on the same field, and Ronaldo gets the first goal on a penalty kick. And how about this goal by Weston McKinney? This is the guy from Texas, an American national. Played for FC Dallas for a while. That is world class. And Juventus has a 2-0 lead 20 minutes in. And then one more from Ronaldo again from the spot. It's Ronaldo. 3-0 Juventus over Barcelona, who beat Juventus earlier in this tournament. So this time Ronaldo's happy and Messi is not. And the Champions League game between Paris Saint-Germain and Istanbul Başakşehir was stopped after only 14 minutes when both teams walked off the field in protest of a fourth official who used racial language to identify Istanbul assistant coach Pierre Webo, who is from Cameroon. It's at that point both teams complained to the head referee and the UEFA officials on hand about what was said. After much discussion, both teams decided they're not going to play any longer. So they'll try to finish this tomorrow with obviously a different fourth official. UEFA is investigating. And Alfonso Davies has yet another honor. But he shares this one. The Lou Mars Trophy is top Canadian athlete with Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, an offensive lineman from the Kansas City Chiefs, who of course won the Super Bowl this year. But he's not playing this year to continue his studies, his to become a doctor mm-hmm. and working on the front line against COVID-19 as well. First time there's been a tie for that award since 83, I believe, when it was Gretzky tying Rick Hansen. There you go. Yeah. Worthy, two worthy co-winners there for Very sure. Much so. Thanks, Squire. All right, here's Andrew with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Ann? Thanks, Chris. We'll have more on the two VPD officers charged in the violent takedown of a black man nearly three years ago. Plus, BC is just days away from seeing the first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. The rollout plan will be unveiled tomorrow. And the Premier says about 4,000 high-risk British Columbians will be immunized by the end of next week. And 66 cases of beer gone? Kamloops RCMP are on the hunt for the sneaky suspects in a craft beer heist. We'll have all those details when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris, Sophie. Sneaky weasel beer. What do you expect was going to happen, right? Thanks very much, Ann. Up next, it was a banner day for the Patella Bridge. How you can own a piece of Royal City history. It has been 83 years since the Patella Bridge was officially opened to vehicle traffic back on November 15, 1937. And while few, if any, of those who took part in that ribbon-cutting ceremony are still around, one memento from that day was grabbed by a new Westminster man and has been kept by his family ever since. Ted Field has the story. Go look at the sign, bud. Andy Hobbes and son Griffin checking out a piece of family and British Columbia history. Where's the bridge? Yeah, that one. A banner that's been hiding for years. We put it up on the wall, you know, recently, but really, to be quite honest, it's been in a box for many, many years. 
Ahaba's family has ties to New Westminster that date back to the early 20th century. Andy's grandfather, Cap Hobbes, ran a bike store and would have been very interested in the engineering marvel that was the Patella Bridge. That was 1937. Grandpa probably was there at the grand opening um, and walked across the bridge. I mean, he would have been around 20 uh, at that time, and that's sort of one of the things that he would have done. You know, whenever there's an event like that in the community, Grandpa would have for sure been there. Cap was quite the collector, setting up a free museum, much of which was auctioned off years ago. One item the family kept was the banner, which might be in better shape than the bridge. Uh, Grandpa would bring as many people by as he could. And I remember being young, running around uh, through all the cars and bicycles and motorcycles, and this was one of the things hanging on the wall. Now the family's ready to part with a banner for a thousand bucks. It's just that we don't have a connection to it, and, you know, it's one of Grandpa's things. Um, and, you know, I guess you can't have everything forever. So, you know, this is one of the treasures that, uh, you know, that we still have. So, yeah, it'll be sad to see it go. And that banner might outlast the bridge. It's scheduled to be replaced sometime this century. Ted Field, Global News. It's a long century to go. Oh, <laughs> man, it really is, isn't it? But a cool memento for sure. All right, last word on weather before we go, Christy, with the rain falling. Thanks. Well, it's eased off now and we'll continue to see that trend. Tomorrow, we still do have a 40% chance of showers, 60 for those of you in the Fraser Valley, but a whole bunch brighter than what we saw today. Nice. All right, thanks. That's all the time we have for tonight. Have a great night, everyone.